So I thought I would take on in the next many weeks that I'm teaching, so they won't be consecutive weeks, um, a series of talks that I did once a number of years ago um, and actually would, would really like to do again. And I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. One is because it's a really good list that is fun to work with. And one is because it seems like it's an opportunity to do a back-to-basics review. And um, so I thought it would be useful. It's the kind of thing that I think is useful for those of us who've been practicing for a long time. And it's useful for those of you who are relatively new to practice and maybe haven't had a chance to sit a retreat yet, but... Um, it would be useful if you could kind of get a coherent series of teachings. And so the list that I want to work with is one that's called the 37 Wings of Awakening. And I think I like the list just for the title, if nothing else. There's something really quite wonderful about these 37 Wings of Awakening. And um, these 37 Wings are... Um, really do have pretty much all of the basic Buddhist Buddhist teachings. So here's, they come in um, seven groups. So here's what we're going to be talking about. One is um, what is sometimes called the four foundations of mindfulness. One is called the four right efforts or right exertions. So the four wise ways that you can use your energy. One is the four bases of power, so how to develop power and strengthen your practice. And then there are two groups that are exactly the same list, but they have two different names. One is called the five faculties, and the other one's called the five strengths, but they have the same items on each of those lists. So that's kind of interesting, you know, what's going on there. Um, there's the seven factors of awakening. And then there's the Noble Eightfold Path. So probably between now and sometime in February, um, that's kind of where we're going. So it's interesting that um, there are seven groups. And seven, um, I did a little reading today as I was thinking about this, and it turns out that in, at the time of the Buddha, there were seven different systems for tuning a scale. And one of the things that's noticed about the Buddha's teachings is he often has sort of allusions to musical things. And so there's been some speculation that maybe he was himself in some way musical. So, so this, you could think of this as, as different ways that you could use to tune your practice, you know, things that you can look at and work with to make your practice a little more refined or a little sharper. And seven also, um, as it turns out, in that, at that time was considered to be a symbol of treasure. And there is, in fact, a list of the seven treasures themselves. So you could also think of these different groups as, as kind of a, a treasure chest, if you want. And... Using these lists, I think it's very helpful to remember that what we're doing here is we're developing a skill. When when the Buddha talks about awakening, so these are the 37 wings of awakening, it's so easy to think that at some point either somebody is going to teach you something or something is going to happen, something kind of magical in your practice, and then you will be awake, you will be enlightened, or you will see what it is you're supposed to see. And I know certainly in my early years of practice, I kept waiting for that special secret teaching, and sometimes even in my very early years at retreats, 
Jack Hoyd, Jack Cornfield, would say, now all the people who have sat longer than six retreats or eight retreats or something, you stay later and we'll have a special session for you. And I would sneak in hoping that maybe I would get the special <laughs> secret teaching, right? And there was never any special secret teaching. They were still talking about the same things we were talking about at the rest of the retreat, except it obviously sounded like they'd been sitting longer. So I'm here to tell you there is no special secret teaching. If you do every single one of these 37 things, it will help. But um, one description for awakening that I quite like is a gradual thinning of the clouds. And sometimes, you know how it is on a cloudy day, sometimes the clouds open up and you get a glimpse of sky, blue sky, sunshine. Whoa, it's really up there. And then the clouds come back again. And it's kind of like that. You know, that, that our practice is very like that. And some, these wings are a skill set. And that you are training in these skills in order for the clouds to thin out a little bit. So it's very useful to enter into any kind of practice with the thought that what you're doing is you're, you're taking on following the breath, you're taking on the foundations of mindfulness, you're learning about the wise efforts as a way to make your skills a little sharper and that then gradually, gradually you will develop these skills so that that you can be more awake. But it's a skill. The skill is the skill of being awake in a way, Um, not some special secret formula. So that piece is important, understanding that this is a skill. And the other piece that's important as we move towards this examining these these various lists is remembering um, that um, all actions with any intention, with any intention at all whatsoever, are... Um, the creators of karma. They are karma itself. And so what we're doing as we develop these skills is we're we're creating a kind of a reverberation. We're We're creating the karma that will lead us toward waking up and that will lead us toward an ending of suffering for ourselves and for other beings. So these wings, these various lists, the foundations of mindfulness and the powers and the um, wise efforts and all of that um, are are, um, described this way of training, describe these actions, these intentional actions that you can take on um, to move the heart towards um, that place of wisdom and compassion, which is the place of awakening. <clears throat> However, before we even get to the lists, one of the things that the Buddha comes back to over and over and over and over in his teachings is the importance of living your life in a way that is non-harming. And the understanding is that that this is the base on which you develop, you can then develop this skill set. And without that base of a life that is not harming, you might as well not bother. Is really kind of the sense that you can you can only do just a little bit, and then if you're continuing to act and behave in a way that is unskillful, that's harmful to yourself or harmful to another being, the mind and heart will not settle enough to do what needs to happen in order to wake up. And and, and so the, the Buddha saw this actually um, himself and, and, and he saw that when, as he was sitting in those those nights actually just before his awakening, he saw that when his mind went towards the thoughts of non-harming and goodwill, then the mind also went more towards clarity and seeing things as they were. 
And when the mind went the other way, it's sort of interesting to think that even the Buddhist mind went the other way, you know, towards non-harming, towards thoughts that were not of goodwill. Then the mind got much more agitated and much cloudier and much more difficult to work with, and it did not go towards awakening. You all know this, right? Is there anybody in this room who doesn't know that? All you have to do is you think back to whatever it was that you did recently that wasn't so skillful. Often for many of us, it's something that we've said, you know, something that we've said that has been particularly mean, intentionally mean, because that's usually what's needed. Or maybe you, you took something that wasn't yours or you actually did harm something. And when you do that, then there's a lot of, of difficulty. And, and if you do it, and then you sit down on your cushion, can you meditate? No. And, and um, you can try it if you'd like. You know, go home and be mean to your dog or something and then try to meditate. And it won't work. It just, it won't work because the, the mind is too agitated. Um, or maybe you do something that numbs out the mind. You know, either with substances or with the internet or too much TV, and then you try to meditate, and the same thing. You know, you're not there. It won't. It's not useful. And so, it's really helpful to consider that the very, very first step. And when I actually wrote a title on this talk, because I do that to keep track of my notes in the computer, I called it "Opening the Wings of Awakening." And so there's. There's this very first step of taking a look at, okay, how am I living my life? Am I living my life in a way that has the intention of waking up and that has the intention of being not harming? So when we start a retreat, those of you who've been on retreats many times know this, the very first thing that we do, the first night of any retreat, is we take the refuges and we take the precepts, which are very traditional Buddhist formats of committing yourself to waking up and to living in a way that's not harming. So I thought it seemed like a really good place to start as we do this series. So one thing I want to say as all of you now have seen, I'm sure, that you have the refuges and the precepts in front of you. And although this is a traditional Buddhist format, it's done in pretty much all of the different lineages of Buddhism, this is not in our Buddhist world, in the Theravadan Buddhist world, it has nothing to do with becoming a Buddhist. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh dear, I don't know if I want to do this or not, I don't know if I'm a Buddhist, Um, please set that aside because it's really not an issue tonight. It's more, um, we work with them more as a way of of really formalizing our intention to wake up and, as I said, to be non-harming. So the word refuge is a word that I've actually always quite liked a lot because it has that sense of, oh, this is a place. This is a place of safety, and it's a place of rest. And for me, because I spend so much time on the big island of Hawaii, I always think of the city of refuge, and some of you probably know it, and the city of refuge, and there were many of them in the Hawaiian culture, was a place where if you'd done something really bad, if you could get there, and that usually involved swimming there, um, you know, you kind of go off the coast, if you could get there, then once you were there, you were safe. And then you went through a period of cleansing and ritual and that kind of thing before you could then be merged back into the community. And that's what it took. So it was a, a, that, in th- that case, it was a safe place if you'd done something. Maybe um, we don't have to look at refuge just as a safe place if you've done something. It's also just a safe place. So when we take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, then this is a place where you can rest your mind. These are places where you can rest your mind. You can rest in that and soften into that intention of awakening. The word, the root of the word Buddha is bud, 
and it means awake. And, in fact, after the Buddha had his night under the Bodhi tree, when asked who he was, he said, I am awake. He didn't say, I'm Gautama Buddha. He didn't say, I'm this or I'm that. He actually identified his being with awakeness. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? I am awake. And so that willingness to try to see clearly for yourself, not what your friend says is true, not what your partner says is true, not what your teacher says is true, but to see for yourself what is true. That's the the refuge in, in awakeness. It also has the sense of, of um, delight in the awakeness of other beings. And so for some of you, there may be a real sense that the Buddha himself or the Buddhas themselves may be a kind of refuge for you. So that's also in there. Refuge in the Dharma, <coughs> refuge in the truth itself, refuge in that which you see, which is sometimes difficult, isn't it? Sometimes when we see the truth, it's really hard. I often think of those moments, and there were many of them in my years as a therapist, when someone would finally say, oh, I really am an alcoholic. Or I really do need to leave my partner. Or I really am an angry person. None of them were easy things to say. And there were many, many, many things like that. And some of you have probably said them yourselves. And there's that way in which when you finally say it, and it's true, and it's hard, and you really wish you didn't have to say it, it's also really a place that you can relax into and rest because it's true. So that's the refuge of the Dharma. And then the word Dharma, of course, also means that enormous body of Buddhist teachings. And again, some of you know that body of of teachings as a refuge and delight in that as well. And then the last of the refuges is the refuge of the Sangha. So that's the refuge of the gathered community. It Uh, Initially, the Sangha meant the community of completely enlightened beings. And, you know, that's fun to think about, that (laughs) there are, over the centuries, and especially if you have a really big view, so you're thinking of many, many different traditions of practice, there have been many, many, many enlightened beings. And it's really wonderful to think of them, you know, that... Oh, all of those enlightened beings who have gone before us. And so, you know, you, at the very least, you belong to a good club, right? And we're headed in the right direction, even if we're very junior members. But we're also a Sangha here. And so we gather week after week after week. And, and there's some sense of, oh, this is an enormous su- support for my practice as well. And again, I think many of you know that, that feeling. I know I get it every time I come in here. You know, I'm here early, and first there's one or two or three of us kind of setting up the cushions, and then a few more people come in, and then a few more people come in, and then there's the point when I look around and I think, gee, there's not very many people here tonight. I wonder why. And then often I close my eyes, right? It's time to begin. And then I open my eyes, and whoa, look at all of these people. And I always feel like you've all come just to support my practice, which is very nice of you. And it feels that way. You know, that that we really are here to hold each other up. So that's the refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So that's that creating that intention. I'm really going to do my best to try to wake up. And then in order to do that, so this is the piece that we're really looking at tonight, I'm going to live my life in a way that really is supportive of developing wisdom and compassion. So that's where these five training precepts come in. And some of you may work with these precepts on a regular basis already. I know they're, they're a really important part of my practice. There's hardly a day that goes by when I, I don't say them to remind myself that I need to create this kind of containment so that in that container I can do the work that I need to do. So not harming, often meaning not, usually meaning not killing. And 
not taking that which isn't given to you and not harming with your sexuality, not harming yourself or anyone else, not harming with your speech, and not harming with drugs and alcohol. (coughs) So those are the five training precepts. Now I want to say a couple of things about them. Sometimes people say, can't they be phrased in a more positive way? (laughs) And I've played with that. And some of you have been here when I've played with that. We've done... You know, I take a piece of being wise and careful, but then someone will always say, well, what's wise and what's careful? It gets a little cloudy, and it's a little harder sometimes to see exactly what you're going to do. I know pretty well what not harming with my speech is or what not harming with my sexuality is. It's a little harder to say exactly what is it that is not harming, that is wise and careful with my sexuality, for example. Because what's wise and careful for me might not be wise and careful for you. I don't know. But what's not harming is a little easier to see. So I've kind of come to feel that the the more negative way of saying it also adds a little bit of clarity. You may not feel so. You can welcome to revise the wording for yourself in your own practice if you want to. The other thing to say is that these are not... They're not um, commandments. They're not something that if you say, I undertake the precept of not killing, and then three weeks down the line you squash a mosquito, you're toast. (laughs) What they really are intended to be, I think of them as hazard tape. You know that yellow tape that goes up along the side of the road that says, If you walk in here, you're going to fall into a hole, you're going to be in trouble. And you know what? That's exactly how those precepts work. Because if you walk into, well, let's pick one we've all done. How about sexuality? You know, if you start doing things that are not so smart with your sexual life, is there anybody here who hasn't? Yeah, right? We've all done that. Pretty soon, there's a mess. There just is. It's like there just is a hole. It will create havoc in your life. It will create havoc in other people's lives. And untold weeks and months and sometimes years of difficulty will reverberate out from having ignored the hazard tape. Right? Sometimes you ignore the hazard tape and you kind of get away with it. But not very often. Not very often. So, but if you fall into the hole, then the understanding is, okay, you get out, you put the hazard tape back up, and next time when you see, you know, don't go there, you probably won't go there. Maybe. It might take falling into the hole a few times before you really get it. But after a while, you begin to think, oh, you know... I can't do that. If I keep my mouth shut, it will be much better. And I know, certainly for me, because speech is is one of my challenges always, that those times when I do keep my mouth shut, it's like, yes, I did it. I made it through that conversation. I bit my tongue. I didn't say anything. And it's so much better. Interesting, huh? So that's really how these work. And using them as part of your practice is a way of reminding yourself of the hazard tape, of saying, okay, I'm going out into the world this morning. I know that I need to be careful about not killing, about not taking, about being careful with my sexuality, being careful with my speech. That's, I think, the one that's often the most interesting in everyday life practice. And of being careful with what I do to cloud my mind. You know, am I keeping my mind as clear as possible? So, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about each individual one. They're fairly explicit. I just want to say one thing, though. That many of them, like the not killing one, seems like, oh, how, you know... Am I just not going to kill ants and mosquitoes and food moths? And what do I do if there's my kitchen is invaded with food moths? 
we can have a lot, a long and interesting discussion. Maybe we'll come back to it over the questions. I don't know. Um, but what I think is important is that when we struggle with these small areas, it really alerts us to the significance of the bigger questions. So we're not, most of us, struggling with questions like euthanasia and capital punishment and um, abortion on a day-to-day basis. But now and then, those big, big questions come up. And when we've trained, so here's the training thing again, when you train in the smaller areas, then often it creates a certain kind of muscle that you can use in the bigger moral decisions of your life. And the same thing's true with the not taking that which is not offered, being really scrupulous about pennies and pens and you know all of those things. I mean, how many people at Long's Drugstore are just utterly astounded when you return 18 cents to them because they gave, they gave you the wrong change, you know? And they're kind of blown away that anyone would bother, but that's part of your training to be really careful about those kinds of things and being very, very careful with speech and careful with the others and really working with the, as I say, with the small things as a way to create the energy for the bigger decisions. So I thought, since I was talking about them, that, and also because there's often been some requests that we do some chanting, that we would do the refuges and the precepts tonight. I just want to say that, um, again, as you take them, as we say them formally, um, that it, it, isn't, it isn't making any formal commitment to it. You're not becoming a Buddhist by doing this, unless in your own mind and heart you'd like it to be that, in which case you're welcome. I also wanted just to mention that if you enjoy this, um, now on the fourth Sunday of every month at the 9.30 sitting, we're offering the refuges and precepts on a regular basis. So you can come and with a group do the chanting and say the precepts together and kind of renew your own intention. If there's any piece of this that you don't want to say or don't want to do, don't do it. So if you're really caught on a particular precept and you just feel you can't even say it tonight, just don't say it. And um, work with it that way and pay attention to it later as part of your practice. So we had a request that we chant the refuges in unison without doing them in call and response. So how many people here have never, ever chanted this before. Only a few of you. Well, enough of you. Okay. I think, though, we'll chant it together. So I'm going to say the words and um, just talk about them for a minute, and then we'll do the chanting together. And those of you who are new can kind of follow along. It's pretty simple. There's not too much that's complicated. So it opens this piece at the top that says Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa So this is a salutation homage to the blessed one, the perfected one the fully enlightened one. So this is giving homage to the Buddha and it's chanted three times and then the refuges are um, Buddham Saranang Gachami, I take refuge in the Buddha Dhammam Saranang Gachami, I take refuge in the Dharma. Sangam Saranang Gachami, I take refuge in the Sangha. So that's what that means. Dutiampi means for the second time, and Tatiampi means for the third time. Fairly simple. So um, I think we'll just chant that together, and then um, when we come to the precepts, I'll just say, now we'll say the precepts together and we'll say them together in English. I'm a strong believer, actually, in saying the precepts in English because I think when you're committing yourself to action, it's a very good idea to do it in your own language. Um, 
You'll also notice that many people will put their hands in this position. This is the Anjali position. It's a position of respect. Feel free to use it or not. Um, depend, and if you need to hold your sheet of paper, sometimes people get kind of cute about it. They do like this. You know, um, get the paper again, or however it works for you. So. Namo tassa bhagavato arahanto samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahanto samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahanto samma sambuddhasa Precepts together. I undertake the precept of non harming, of not killing. I undertake the precept of not taking that which is not given. I undertake the precept of not harming with my sexuality. I undertake the precept of not harming with my speech. I undertake the precept of not harming with the use of drugs and alcohol. You know, some years ago, I was visiting in Bodhgaya, which is where the Bodhi tree is, that is at least the successor of the Bodhi tree under which the Buddha sat. And it's an amazing spot with hundreds of pilgrims who come through And they often circumambulate the temple that is, there's the temple on the Bodhi tree sort of sits just behind it on a platform and people circumambulate and they chant and one of the things they chant is the refuges. And um, it took me a while to realize that I was hearing words that I knew very well because often the different the Sri Lankan dialect, for example, is a little different from the Thai version that I've learned. And um, <coughs> But I had a sense as I sat there in this place that is all about waking up, of really what it is to enter into this huge stream of beings who have created this intention in their lives, that... that what we want to do is to wake up to the deepest truth that it's possible for each one of us to see. So I invite you to reflect on that for your own life. And as these coming weeks go by and we get a chance to look at some of the different components, uh, some of these sets of wings, um, that, that you will find them helpful as you, you <coughs> too move in that vast stream of people who are um, following in the footsteps of the Buddha. So I think that's enough for me. Maybe there's a few questions before we have some announcements. It was a bit long. Please, if you would like, if this (coughs) chant sheet is useful to you, take it home um, and use it in your own practice. So questions (coughs) or comments. 
anyone? Please. I was wondering if there are more than five. It seems like being a human, there would be thousands. <laughs> well, if you're a monk, there's 237. <clears throat> and if you're a nun, there's 85 more. <laughs> Nuns being, as I often say, a rather unruly lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I mean, these do cover, these five precepts pretty much cover the basic territory, don't they? And um, and a lot of the other ones, even for the monks, are to some extent fine-tuning, you know, and putting very specific limitations on what you can and cannot do. Um, there are, there's a set of eight that is often used in the retreat world. And if you set a retreat with the monks, there are three additional precepts. One is not sleeping on high and lofty beds. One is, um, they're not usually high and lofty beds at retreat centers, so it's certainly (laughs) a not issue. Um, But some people quite intentionally sleep on the floor. You know, they want to do it that way. Uh, one is not um, indulging in entertainment and personal adornment and that kind of thing. And the one which is the trickiest for many people is not eating after the noon meal. And so at those retreats, there's no evening meal that's served. So, And then there's a list of ten. So you can, you know, depending on your interest in that kind of structure for your life, you can certainly use one of the longer lists. And I was wondering also, you read from a book, is there a book that you can recommend that goes more into depth of things like this? This? The Wings of Awakening? Um, yeah. Well, this particular book, I'm going to see if I can get some copies of this for us. This is a, a book that um, Tanisara Bhikkhu, who's also known as Tan Jeff, and has actually has not yet been to the center. I suddenly realized that when I was thinking about it. Um, Has put together of sutta passages on the Wings of Awakening. I believe the entire text of the book is online at something called accesstoinsight.org. Access to insight, all one word. um, But the book is also what's called a Donna book, which means it's been put together and printed and it's given out of generosity. So if I can get some copies, there'll be free copies here one of these days. And if I can't, you could probably get one copy and I can tell you how to do it. Anything else? Please, Lila. Do you know anything about the not sleeping in high and lofty beds? I have to get a couple of <laughs> I don't think it means high and lofty that way. I think it means just a little bit not not getting caught in the in the comfort thing is really I think what that's talking about. Yeah. I think sometimes it's the high and luxurious. High and luxurious, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, those of you with Tempur-Pedic mattresses, I have to think about it. Okay. Well, maybe enough. Please. Um, overnight conversion. Overnight conversion. Yeah. You talked about uh, how there's no special um, there knowledge are, that you get to wake up. There are big the things. Buddha that, did it overnight. Yes. Well. Um, <laughs> well. Yeah, and a lot up to it as well. And yes. Many and there was another story about one but, of his students who was trying and trying and wasn't awake and went to bed that night and then yep. lo and behold was awake the he next laid his night. head on the pillow um, there are lots of stories like that and things like that happen there are incredibly intense moments of waking up for some people and certainly the student of the Buddha who had been this is Ananda we're talking about Ananda had followed the Buddha around his whole life he was the person who memorized every talk of the Buddha he was the one who did all of that practice. So he'd done a lot of thinning of the clouds before <laughs> he got there. So finally the clouds broke. And then other people have the experience that the clouds break, right? And you have this huge vision and something really deep and really powerful happens. And then 
you have to live your life. <laughs> and often you find out suddenly you're not so enlightened. And, you know, your husband doesn't think you're anywhere near so enlightened. He <laughs> doesn't. And, or you do things that aren't so enlightened. And so it becomes clear that sometimes there are these moments of awakening and then the clouds kind of come back. You don't forget the moment of awakening, right? And so then you keep kind of chipping away. Sometimes it's, I think of it often as being sequential, that there are deep insights and experiences that happen that bring a lot of, in, a lot of awakening, a lot of wisdom. And then, and then it, it, it's like it closes up a bit and it's, it's a while and then there's another and then it's a while, and hopefully they start coming closer and closer together, and so that then ultimately you live there instead of having just these isolated experiences. But it takes a while for for most people before you live there. I'm sure there's exceptions, but they're not very common. Okay, we need to stop. Let me make just a couple of announcements. Um, we have a fabulous new newsletter, if you haven't seen it, that Carla Brennan put together. It's, there's a big stack of them over on the table. That will tell you a lot of what you need to know for the coming weeks. Um, this Sunday is the family program day, so that means that after there's this, the regular sitting at 9.30, which on this first Sunday of the month is usually led by one of the family program people or somebody who's connected to it. So any, that sitting is just a sitting. You're welcome to come. And more and more people are figuring out that that 9.30 sitting is a nice thing to do on the weekend. And, um, and then there's a break at 10.15. And then anyone who wants can stay and participate in the family program. Stefan's here. Christy's here. Nigel's here. There's a lot of people who have been part of that program if you want to know anything about it. And they love having people come who don't necessarily have children of their own, but who like being around families. So if that's interesting to you, come and be part of the family program. Are you doing anything special this Sunday? Do we know anything about it? Um, <coughs> each, each session we've been focusing on a different sense, and so we've been to touch and taste, and now we're moving on to sight this month. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, maybe... Um, uh-huh. We have sort of a rhythm, uh, same thing to do each time. Great. Seeing's an interesting one. So that's the family program. Next Thursday night is the annual holiday solstice potluck. And so at 5.30, people will be gathering. We hope you will be among them. Bring vegetarian food to share. Somebody, I, I heard at the Qigong class at 5.30 that someone said this is the best food for a potluck anywhere. So this is, I don't know who said it, but if that's true, I guess that's good. It's always good. So um, we'll have, we have tables and candles and we transform ourselves into a dining room. And so please come. And it's helpful if you bring your own plate and service but if you don't or if you forget, come anyway because we have plenty of paper plates and that kind of thing. And then um, we'll clear all that aside and sort of put the food to the side because there's always food left. And then we sit and do our thing. And then at the end, um, you can continue to eat if you would like. And if anybody comes late and hasn't had a chance to eat, there's usually something. So please come. 5.30 is when we start but if you can't get here until a quarter to six or ten over six o'clock, come then. Um, and somebody asked if they could bring children. Children would be fine, and they're welcome to stay for the sit as long as they can be relatively calm. How's that sort of a compromise? And then just the last thing, um, Bob Stahl is teaching a day long up at Tangpulu Kaba'ai, which is the Burmese monastery in Boulder Creek. And that's on Saturday, December 8th. And this is a chance to go to Burma for the price of whatever gas it takes you to get to Boulder Creek. So um, I strongly recommend it. I think it will be a really nice day. And it's from 10 until 4, and he'll be doing the teaching. But Bob um, was a monk in Burma and has a long, long history with the monks at Tenpulu Kaba'ai. So he's a really good person to connect us to that.
community. I think um, somebody wanted to know when the next beginner's class is. That's happening in January. I believe it's January 9th. So just to bow to that um, in case any of you are interested. Any other announcements? Uh, there are voluntary positions or volunteer positions available here within the, within the Sangha, within the center. And if you are interested, there are... Um, in the back here, there's an envelope where you can fill out uh, what you'd like to, in what way you'd like to uh, volunteer. There's you know lists of um, possibilities, and or else you can come and speak with me. My name is Jason. I think we particularly, we may have found somebody to do the bookkeeping. Oh, we right. particularly need someone to do publicity, which I'm told takes maybe four hours a month. And so it's sort of making sure our think listings are in the papers and that kind of thing. And we need somebody who can work with data entry for the roster, right? Mm-hmm. But this is something that Anne has been doing. So if you're interested in that, it's a very low-key kind of um, volunteer job. And you could see Anne. Anne, has, as the president of the board, has way too many other responsibilities. So we're trying to lighten her load a little bit. Anything else? Please, Mary Lou. Also, for next Thursday, if anyone has um, small card tables that you could bring for setting up, for eating, um, seeing afterwards. Great. And there's also a list on the table that if you can't catch Mary Lou, if she's mobbed, you can put your name on the list. (laughs) So I I just wanted to be sure that everybody knows about the the way that we support this song and its activities. We're doing well as far as meeting our expenses, but it takes us all continuing to contribute to enable us to continue to meet our expenses. So please uh, avail yourself of that opportunity to express your generosity either in the baskets on the table or through our website. (coughs) We really appreciate credit card uh, donations, and all donations to the Sangha are tax-deductible. And I'm trying to remember to remind people, too, that, of course, we encourage people to utilize our local businesses and independent bookstores. But if you are going to Amazon.com, <laughs> if you go through our website, the Sangha gets a little percentage of your Amazon.com purchase. So I've definitely been doing that myself, and it feels good to do. And also, uh, to please support our teachers with um you can just write one check that's to the Plasma Center that includes a notation for that part of it is for the teacher of the evening and uh, or you can just put something in the basket there. Thank you. Please. Ah, the homeless basket. Yes. If you're not aware, there's a basket that's currently overflowing with donations for the River Street Homeless Shelter. Just know that they take pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So let's end with just a little bit of loving-kindness practice. Loving-kindness is the practice of friendliness towards ourselves and towards all other beings. So sit quite comfortably in a way that is perhaps friendly to your body. (coughs) And take a chance to breathe a couple of times. And then in some simple way, extend kindness or compassion or friendliness, goodwill, into your own being with a phrase, with an image, with a breath. Meeting yourself and your own experience with friendliness and goodwill. Let yourself be aware of everybody seated in the room, to your right, to your left, in front of you and behind you. And begin to extend the same goodwill, the same friendliness, out into the world, out into the room, to this gathered group of people. Then perhaps let your attention go on out towards people whom you know and love. And if there's anyone whose name you'd like to place in the circle so that we can all extend goodwill toward them, please do so.
Extending our goodwill to all of these people. May they be peaceful and may they have ease of being. And then we let our goodwill and friendliness go on out, extending it to all people, to all the creatures of the earth and of the air and of the water, to all beings in every direction, in every realm. And then last of all, we gather up all of the goodness of our practice together this evening, and we offer this goodness for the benefit of all of these beings, that all beings may be happy, that all beings may be peaceful, and that all beings everywhere may be free. So thank you very much for your presence and your practice, and I will look forward to seeing what you bring to the potluck next week. (laughs) Oh, tea. Yes, there's tea available. Will it be in the office or will it be out here? It'll be in the library for anybody who'd like to have a cup of tea or hang around and ask questions or whatever. Should we leave all the questions out? Uh, the cushions may be left out, fluff them up, brush them off, and put the round one right in the middle. <laughs> Outside of the fact that I got sick. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.